Let us open up God's holy word this morning, brothers and sisters, to Revelation chapter 21, where we continue to see further glorious visions that God has given the Apostle John for our comfort and our hope and our salvation. We begin to read at Revelation 21 at verse 9, where we have introduced various uh, descriptions concerning the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which of course is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in heavenly glory. We begin to read at verse 9 through verse 27, and our text is verse 22 and verse 23. God's holy word. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance was like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light all the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing clean, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book." Of life. And then, secondly, please turn to Isaiah chapter 60. 
where we read the first uh, three verses. The prophecy of Isaiah chapter 60. We read verses 1, 2, and 3, and 19 and 20. Where the prophet says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nation shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. And then the verse 19, The sun shall no more shall be no more your light by day nor the brightness shall nor for brightness shall the moon give you light but the lord will be your everlasting light and your god will be your glory your sun shall no more go down nor the moon withdraw itself for the lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended please note verse 22 and 23 comprise our text uh, this morning. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the time seems to be ever flying by so quickly, and the end of the age is surely coming, isn't it? We remember the words of the Apostle Paul saying uh, that now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Comforting words to the Roman Christians in chapter 13, verse 11. We are one year closer to the end of the age, to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, when our salvation will come to all its fullness and all its glory. And thus to be forgetting those things which have happened in the past, but to press on all the more with the coming of the Lord before us. To that new city the Bible speaks of, to that holy city, to the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven which God has prepared for those who love him. Congregation, we are to be always a forward-looking people. We look forward to the end. We have an eschatological hope, the, the hope of the end, not merely the the disintegration of the earth, but the coming of a new age, of a recreation of what God will make for his people. And indeed, it is the hope of seeing the glory of God himself. And these things we, we begin to see develop in Revelation chapter 21. John sees another heavenly vision, wherein we see that God is the eternal support and also the supply of the holy city. Our theme this morning, God is the eternal support, eh, the upholder, and also the supplier for all things necessary for the holy city. And we focus on verse 22 and 23. Now, people have long asked over the centuries, what will heaven be like? And what will it be like to be a Christian on the, on the new earth, under the new heavens, the new Jerusalem? What will it be like? Well, the Bible certainly gives glimpses and pictures of that, often in figurative language and using earthly analogies. But we know it will remain a mystery because eye has not seen or ear heard 
and our mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And therefore, how important today, congregation, to be very busy and very happily loving the Lord your God. That's probably one of the reasons why we're here this morning, to love the Lord our God and to anticipate what he has yet in store for us in the age to come. And so to that, we press on with that great hope and that certain expectation that we receive in God's holy word. Now the church has been called in the Bible in various places, the holy city, also the great city, and the new Jerusalem. We see that in verse uh, 2 and verse 10 and following of this chapter. It will be, of course, the eternal dwelling place of God with his people. And our text uh, begins to, to describe some of that further in verse 22. We read, And I, as John, saw, a, saw no temple in the city. He saw no temple. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. It's described as a glorious city. And he would have been expecting to see some kind of a glorious edifice looking like a temple, but he doesn't see that. He doesn't see that, but he sees how the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, they are the temple. And thus our, our first point, God is her temple, whereby he's able to therefore be her support and her supply through all ages to come. Now the churches in Asia Minor to whom John wrote the book of Revelation, they clearly understood the figure of the temple. They knew very well of that temple in Jerusalem that had stood there on Mount Zion. And that imagery was deeply impressed upon their religious consciousness. It was a dwelling place of God for this people since the days of Solomon. And prior to that, the tabernacle was a dwelling, pe dwelling place of God for this people since the days of Moses. They certainly knew these things. And that temple was that edifice of which the psalmist spoke, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. It was the pleasure of God's people to go up to the temple to there bow down before God and to worship him. The temple facilitated divine worship congregation whereby God's people could enter into God's rest and enter into that service of loving and serving the true God. There God drew near to meet his people at that holy temple. And of course, there was his presence manifested in that mysterious and profound kind of way deep within the most holy place above the Ark of the Covenant, over the mercy seat between the two golden cherubim. There the presence of God was manifested in that peculiar, mysterious kind of a way. And yet it was veiled to the people, wasn't it? Only once a year the high priest could enter into that most holy place bearing the blood of the sins of the people. And so, in a sense, there was closeness. There was that idea of, of a close proximity and yet there was separation, wasn't there? Because the sins of the people had not yet been atoned for, there was this separation. But now John, in, the heavenly, in this heavenly vision, he sees something else. He, he sees that, he says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. This future holy city, 
congregation, this church of Jesus Christ, will God will there need no physical structure of brick or of mortar to reveal himself or for that matter to hide himself or to manifest himself. There is here no picture of remoteness or of separation, but a kind of a bold-faced presence where God's people, in in, in essence, see him, and God, in essence, exposes himself gloriously, wondrously, inconceivable to us, of course, and yet such is the reality of the new Jerusalem. Here he himself, with the Lamb, are the temple of the living God, the lamb that was slain, of course, the lamb that, that experienced death and crucifixion for our sake, that lamb that was resurrected and highly exalted, the lamb together with God the Father are the holy city, or sorry, are the, are the temple. By contrast, now we, we too experience that sense of separation and still a kind of remoteness from God, even though God dwells in the hearts of his people by his Holy Spirit. Yet even now we still, we still experience heavenly things as though looking through a glass darkly or very dimly. We, we see glimpses, we, we catch ideas, and, and yet there is still that, that dimness. We are not yet with God face to face, seeing him in his glory. Now our communion is separated by time and by distance and by the many miserable effects of our own sinful hearts. We're still in another realm than what God is in, but in heaven, brothers and sisters, no matter where we live in the holy city, there the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are immediately present as fully as God, of course, has pleased to reveal himself there. Yet we have a a direct and an intimate communion with God, though I say right, right away we cannot conceive of how that will be. And yet his holy, glorious omnipresence will pervade all of our human existence there together with him. Indeed, God will need no props or no helps. He will need no temple, but he himself with a lamb are the temple. And our fellowship, therefore, with God will be perfect. It will be sweet. It will be wonderful. It will be beyond our wildest imagining now, and yet a fellowship never to be broken never to have distance in the equation, so to speak, never, never to be blemished by sin. And God will thus supply our every need for body and soul throughout all eternity and all the helps and all the supports that we will need. He indeed will be the supply of. So we indeed may say then it is well with my soul if we say that now is the case through faith in Jesus Christ, how much more on that great day of the coming of the Lord when we will see that he together with the Father in heaven are the temple, the temple, the manifesting of the living God. How different from today even though today, by God's grace, we have so much too, don't we? 
We, too, enter into the presence of God as we gather for worship. That's a fact. It's a reality. And yet we experience that distance. We still experience suffering, loneliness, despair. We have to pray for our loved ones in the hospital. They are sick and they are dying and they're going to have to be separated from their bodies as well. Now we still go through hard times. And at times, because of our own sinfulness and our wandering hearts and minds, God at times seems very distant from us. And we forget to take stock of where we are ourselves. Sinful doubts arise and disturb our hearts. Even our worship is imperfect, but... And now we see God still speaking through his servants, through fallible men, and of course by his word and spirit. But then congregation, then face to face with the living God and the Lamb, his only begotten Son, our Lord. And then we will hear him speak directly from his own mouth. And our joy and our communion will be overflowing with bliss and happiness and gratitude and basking in his glory. Then we will be in the temple. Then we will be in and with the living God, our covenant God and Father, and the Lamb, his Son, who was slain for the likes of you. And of me, brothers and sisters. Then we will never get lost. We will never get bogged down. We will never be forgetful to praise God and to enter into communion with Him, for He will be in our immediate presence and we with Him. And the constant consolation and the joy and the hope and the comfort we will receive is beyond our fathoming. Our support for body and soul, for the nourishing of our spirits and the nourishing of our brand new physical bodies will be beyond our our wildest uh, dreams if we would try to compare them to what we experience today from God. And how our minds then will be filled with the greatest happiness and bliss, with not a single uh, glitch, not a single blemish, not a single trouble. Congregation, this is something to long for. This is something to live for as we live in this world in which there is so much despair and so much darkness and so much misery and so many things not right. Long also for this day, brothers and sisters, keep setting your heart and mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and not on the things below, merely congregation. I know we're very busy people. We've got so many things to attend to. We have our jobs, our families, all our earthly concerns. Yes, they're real. I don't want to minimize that, but please be setting your heart not simply on these earthly things that will pass away and come to naught, but on the things in heaven that God has prepared for those who love him. He's prepared himself for us to be in his presence, to be the temple, the place where we enter, the place where we remain, remain with him through all eternity. And of course, it's for the purpose, as we, as we read in the first part of our scripture passage, that 
that we would be that bride, right? The lamb has come to to take home his, his bride. He is the bridegroom, of course. And John here shows us something of the bride, the wife of the lamb. And we long to be in the presence of our bridegroom together with his father forever. That's where we're going, congregation. That is the consummation. But now in the second place, John sees something else. First, the fact that he saw no temple And now another astonishing thing, perhaps, as far as he was concerned, verse 23, he says that this city, this holy city, Jerusalem, had no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is the Lamb. One of the foremost characteristics or attributes of God is that is that God is light, we read in 1 John uh, 1 verse 5. And furthermore, that Jesus Christ, he also is the light of the world. And the gospel is the light shining in the darkness, we read in, in John 1 verse 4 and 5. The two contrasting things there, both light and darkness. First, let's deal with the darkness. Darkness has always been a, a symbol of, of evil, of trouble and of ignorance, and of, uh, and of unrighteousness, and of ruin, and of condemnation, and of wickedness. Darkness is a symbol of all that which is truly bad. Satan is himself called the prince of darkness in the scriptures. On the other hand, light is the symbol of truth. Light is a symbol of knowledge. And wisdom, how often don't we say when we're dealing with a problem, we can't figure it out. We need to shed some light on the subject, we say. We need to bring some knowledge on the situation to deal with the, tr- the trouble or the problem. And once we got that knowledge, we can figure out what the trouble was. and We can make things right. We, we need the light of, of knowledge, of wisdom. And where does all of that come from, of course? Well, the very mind and heart of God. And so light is a symbol of, of knowledge, of, of, uh, of truth, and of righteousness, and of goodness. It is symbolic of the salvation of our God. It is symbolic of God himself. And how, and how uh, reasonable to say that he, for he himself is the source of all light. Genesis 1 tells that very plainly. God made light. He said, let there be light, and there was light. God made physical light, but what about all of Genesis 1? Isn't that spiritual light too? Isn't that the light we need to understand the most basic and profound things concerning life, that God is the creator, that he made it in six days, that he said it was very good? Talk about having light for our pathway to know that already as well. That is spiritual light that we need as we live in this dark age where where evolution is king and and so forth. God is our light. And now John says the holy city, verse 23, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. In the second place, congregation, 
God is the eternal support and the supply of the holy city because he is her light, the light for the world to come as well. And this concept as well was not an alien kind of a thing to the Old Testament Jewish church, nor of God's New Testament people. We turn to Isaiah chapter 60, and we see these uh, beautiful words, beautiful words of Isaiah 60, where the prophet uh, says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. There he is speaking of that messianic hope that Israel was to have, the glorious uh, light of the Lord would shine upon them. The Messiah indeed would be born, the Christ child. And then Isaiah goes on to speak again the contrast. For behold, he says, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nation shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Isaiah there is speaking of the of the, of the coming of the glorious grace of God that would arise upon the earth by means of the birth of the Christ child and by means of his earthly ministry that he would fulfill and by means of Jesus Christ who would be preached among the Gentiles and throughout the world as, as a light to the people and as a way in which this, this awful darkness that covers the earth like a, like a steel thick blanket that cannot be penetrated by anything else but by the divine light of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and break through the thick darkness that describes what the people were all under, the thick darkness that only the gospel, the power of the spirit could penetrate so they would begin to see something glorious, something un, 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 unworldly or unearthly, the glory that would be seen by the people and by the nations. And they would begin to come to the light, Isaiah says, and even kings, mighty kings and princes would come to the brightness of your rising. And isn't that what the gospel, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been doing all these centuries, causing a light to arise among the peoples, and many come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about a, a penetration and a pushing away of the shadows of the darkness and a demolishing of the strongholds of Satan and of paganism and, and cutting away forward for the truth of the gospel and for the church of Jesus Christ to be established upon the earth because they, they have seen, they have heard of the light of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. But now, going back to what John sees, he says the city now has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. This new heavenly city, this new Jerusalem that will come down and manifest itself on planet Earth, 
It as well will need no physical sun or moon to give it light, as, as now we need the moon, sun to shine and the moon to shine as well to give light to our existence. But this new heavenly Jerusalem, it will need ordinary physical light to be sure, but no longer have the sun to supply it or the earth or the moon to reflect it. We will need to construct no hydroelectric dams to produce electricity because God will illuminate her and the lamp will be the lamb himself to give light that not a thousand suns in the sky could ever possibly accomplish. God himself will bring the physical light that this new creation will require He no longer needs the helps of the sun or the moon. But even more profoundly, congregation, God in heaven and his son will also be that spiritual light that lightens up and continues to give grace and glory to his new creation. The glorious light of the glory of God will communicate far more than physical light, the stuff we see coming out of light bulbs, But that light of the glory of God will constantly be communicating to us his holy divine presence itself. It will keep communicating to us his holy divine attributes. Keep communicating and shining upon us with the very power we need to be sustained forever and ever upon the new earth. The constant illuminating of his wisdom and grace the constant illumination of his radiant and glorious faithfulness to his new creation. And at the heart of it is something very, very interesting when John says, and the lamp is the lamb. In other words, the foundation for, the rationale for, the reason why this glory of God can even shine upon the new creation is because of the source of this light, namely the lamp. The thing that brings forth the shining, John says, is the Lamb of God. The one who had taketh away the sin of all the world. Without the Lamb being the lamp, there could be no shining glory of the radiant majesty and wonder and splendor of God upon his new creation. It hinges upon the lamb that once was slain and now is the lamb that is the lamp or the light, the source of the radiant, indescribable glory of God. Oh, dear congregation, my heart is left full of wonder, in essence, almost at a loss for words to try to explain or to fathom what we see here and how it will be realized as we then will be living under the illuminating light of the glory of God. Yeah, we have word pictures here in Revelation. They, of course, are sufficient for this age and time. But who can conceive of their heavenly manifestation when these words of 22 and 23 will actually become reality in terms of our physical experience of them, of that light. 
of that holy city, the new Jerusalem, that God has prepared for those who long for his appearing. And I need to stress that too because we know we are not there yet. We are still those who are longing for his appearing. Having to run the race that is set before us, we are not at the finish line yet. Congregation, do you long for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? Perhaps even more so than longing to be in that new city, the heavenly heavenly Jerusalem, and, and taking up membership there, but first off to long for his appearing, the one who is the lamp, who then will shine upon our hearts and souls. Are you longing to see the one who was born, the Christ child, the one who was born to be slain, to to be put to death, to atone for all your sins? Are you longing for that very man who fulfilled the law of God for you, who was raised from the dead that you might also partake of his righteousness, and so that God would say to you, you are one of my justified sons and daughters through faith in my beloved Son, whom I sent for your sake? Are you longing for that one who was born and slain and risen and ascended, the very person we ought to keep placing our faith in? And if we have not done done that yet, perhaps many of you younger children who are learning about the Lord Jesus Christ right now, and seeking to understand why he came and who he is and what he has done for those who love him, to to learn of him and to delight in him and to long for his appearing because outside of him there's only awful, incredible, thick darkness that suffocates, that destroys, that ruins, that brings nothing but condemnation. Long for the appearing of this one who is the light of the world. And believing on him, congregation, we can be absolutely sure that that everlasting light that he's caused to shine upon our hearts, hearts, in our hearts, will, will never be taken away. And having that light fill our souls, we will never become depressed of spirit or convicted of our guilt again. The light that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we know, and the scientists tell us as well, that light makes life possible, that we know from from science class. But we have something here much more profound. We have the lamp of the Lamb that will supply us also with the ability to have life throughout all eternity. Physical light, to be sure, and that, in essence, of course, is but a small thing, but the light, the regenerating or the constant generating power by which we will continue to have life. Turning to Isaiah 60 at verse 19, we read further prophecy Isaiah says, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, 
and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning. Hey, our days of sadness and grief and turmoil, it shall be ended when our sin shall be no more and we will be in the presence of God. I find that congregation so interesting how Old Testament prophecy so well serves as New Testament light for us today. The Old Testament speaks through into the new to give us New Testament light, but even more also here intended to give us glimpses of the divine light that will be radiating upon the holy city that will be coming down out of heaven from God. A city that will no longer need the sun to shine to keep us warm and to shed light, nor the moon to reflect the light, to give us some light in the darkness. Those things will no longer be needed, but the light of the glory of God physically and spiritually will be our light. And I pray that now already that that light of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be your light in terms of the knowledge you need today to live and to serve God, that the light of the gospel will be the wisdom by which you will live to figure out things in your life, how you are to live, what priorities you are to keep, which way you are to go, which things you are to choose, what plans you are to make for yourself. For all these things, we need wisdom and we need knowledge. And it is to the word of the gospel that we go to, to, and to Jesus Christ, that word even made flesh. That is the light we need right now, not the nonsense of so many people who deny the Lord or who find their wisdom in science and philosophy, mathematics, or who knows what else, psychology. All that light is but often so much darkness. Yes, they may have a few valuable things to say, but ultimately it's still so much more darkness if it is without the knowledge and the wisdom and the truth of the Holy Scriptures, the light that we need that will then shine with the glory that we cannot understand. May the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ keep shining in your hearts today and tomorrow and for your children and for your grandchildren and the generations to come within this congregation. A light that shines in your soul through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Talk about having divine support and having all our needs met, all the things we need to know and understand being met through this divine light that God promises to all who love him and who seek him and who are called according to his purpose. Again, noting verse 19 or verse 20, Isaiah says, your, your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, 
and your days of mourning shall be ended. They shall be over. They will be over and be replaced with this everlasting light. Well, congregation, what a holy city we have portrayed for us here. What a, what a glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ we will be members of in the age to come where no more darkness and gloom will ever be part of our existence. There will be no light there whatsoever but the light of the lamp of the Lamb of God and of God Almighty will shine with everlasting glory for everlasting blessings upon your soul, upon your life. I'll say it again, congregation, these things are utterly beyond us, so to speak. They're beyond our truly knowing, and, and yet they are overwhelmingly true, and they are overwhelmingly good. It makes me think what God said when he had first made the creation and God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And what God will recreate for our sake, that holy city, that new Jerusalem on that new earth under the new heavens of which as well, we may say, it will be very good. Amen. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the revelation of the inscripturated word and the word that was made flesh, the one who we will look to, the one whom we have longed for, the one whom we now have loved and placed our faith in, the one who has redeemed our souls, the one who has been a light upon our pathway and a lamp to our feet in this present time. O oh God in heaven, we thank you for the glorious revelation that you have given to your people to fill our hearts with great joy and happiness and satisfaction. O oh God, we praise your name together with your Son who sits upon the throne with you. Amen.